what was Jordan shooting at 14? Super low scores. <laughs> yeah, something I mean, that starts with a six. Yes, exactly, and a lot of them. Gosh. When he was 12, he shot 63 and won a tournament by 18 shots. Granted, 54-hole tournament, but at 14 years old, I think I remember. Yeah. In fact, I distinctly remember he came in for a lesson. Clearly, he was in high school then, going to Jesuit, maybe a freshman at Jesuit. Came in for a lesson on a Saturday, Saturday morning, and we did some stuff that was necessary. I didn't think it was easy by any stretch in terms of, like, movement adaptation, swing change. And he went out at Brookhaven that afternoon, and I got a text probably about 6 p.m. that he shot 59. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to the Earn Your Edge podcast. We are now in year two. Did you think we'd get this far? I hoped. I had big ambitions that we would make it this far. I did too. I was aspirational. I was aspirational that we'd get in 70 odd episodes per year. We didn't get that far, did we? I read somewhere that the average count of episodes for a podcast mm-hmm. is seven. <laughs> we overachieved that. Yeah, so we're way ahead okay. of the plan. Yeah. I guess perspective is pretty important when you look at things, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, nonetheless, we're back. We celebrated our one year anniversary and we're celebrating it with a mailbag. At Kai Gucci. What's been your favorite episode to record so far and why? I wonder if mine is going to be the same as yours. I think mine, well, I don't, don't think I know mine so far, but there's been so many, right? I've enjoyed every episode. I enjoyed the research that we put in to making sure that we know who this guest is. If we don't have a personal relationship with it, I enjoy learning more about them, learning the, in the conversation, the things that, that help them become who they are, but the most So I have personal relationships with the clients that we've been able to interview. So let's just put those to the side. The most interesting one for me has been learning new stuff from like Danny Negrano, from Tony Romo, and getting insight from Gio Valiente because he's such a smart dude. Those three stand out in my mind. But I mean, it's probably unfair to pick one yeah well it's been tony so romo was like i mean you, dallas i mean he there's a certain kind of cachet with tony romo here yeah. in, in dallas so that that makes it special but mm-hmm. i mean the most fun one was eddie pepperell and Lori Cantor over dinner in italy with wine and pasta and like we were on this like little cobbled road and it was just i've never laughed so hard in my life particularly so. because there were a lot of excerpts that yeah. had to yeah we had to left a, on the cutting room we floor. had to do a lot of editing <laughs> yeah exactly at j ray three what is in cameron and Corey's bag titleist titleist through the bag scotty cameron putter Vokey wedges. I've got a 6004. I like to play low bounce because I feel like that's the strength of my game, the greenside play and putting. And so the versatility that I can achieve with a low bounce wedge is is impressive <laughs> if I can do my own so horn. Cameron has gone with more function where mine are based in more aesthetics. Yeah, definitely. I have the blacked out AP2s with the black shafts, the black heads. I got the blacked out Vokies, blacked out circle T. X5. Boom. Everything's black. <laughs> so I just look, look the part, be the part. So here's some insider information that we're going to kind of break out here. The new irons coming out from Tidelist. 
won't be the AP series. Now it's the T series. There's a T100, T200, and T300. And there's another one that... Are you uh, allowed to say this? I, well, I, I am. So. Wow. Okay. I didn't know this. <laughs> I am saying this. And the, I guess the exciting part is, you know, the concept irons. Yeah. How they would produce just amazing ball speed. Apparently that's what these ones do as well. Okay. Yeah. Let's see if Mike Somerville has anything left. Like same club head speed measured on track, man, and producing ball speeds where this player who was talking about the, these irons they tested out was producing ball speeds that were five to seven miles an hour faster than what they were producing with their AP2s. And they were fully satisfied, clearly, with the clubs that they were playing. We're talking about a professional. We're talking about one of the best players in the world here that plays Tylus equipment. With similar spins and launches and yeah, lofts and all that? very similar launches, wow. very similar spins. Yeah. And so okay. the only uh, rate change was in ball speed. So they're hot. Yeah. They're okay. going to go far. We'll, we'll go far. We're going to stay tuned. Yep. A quick word about our partner, Titleist, makers of the number one ball in golf. If you're not already playing a Titleist golf ball, you definitely should be. The all-new Pro V1 and Pro V1X have been redesigned for more speed, more precision, and more consistency than ever before. Most of our clients here at Altus already know that they should be playing a Titleist golf ball, so it's often a question of which is the best for their game. The Pro V1 has a softer feel and lower flight than the Pro V1X, and the Pro V1X has a higher flight with more spin and a firmer feel. Both models provide proven drop and stop greenside control, lasting durability, and unsurpassed quality. Prove how good you can be. Tee up the new Pro V1 or Pro V1X on your next round. And now, this week's episode. At Nick Peterson 10, what's the best way to translate good social play into tournaments? Like Miller Lite, I think is if you can get him Miller Lite. <laughs> That's probably already yeah. happening yeah. in the social play and what you're recommending and he might translate that into. Or see, how that many, in. see how many you can fit into your bag? Yeah. So let's just take a perspective that this is a junior golfer. Okay. Yeah. Enough. And he's playing with his peers on Saturdays and Sundays, but he's not quite achieving that same scoring level, that same performance ability when he's uh, in tournaments. So yeah, so I, I guess maybe back to my answer before is mm-hmm. let's take an objective appraisal. What elements are influencing your performance when you're social play? So mm-hmm. I'm going to speculate. There's probably not a whole lot of concern for outcome or consequence. Freed up a little bit, playing athletically instead of worried about consequences. He Maybe he needs to go back and listen to Dr. Geo. He needs to play a little bit more fearless golf. Episode possibly. 36. Yeah. 36, mm-hmm. yeah. That's where my head goes right away. What yeah. about you? So some of the psychology. I think the answer on objective appraisal is understanding where you're folding, when you're folding, when the screws are on. And also certainly the psychology of perspective. It's, it doesn't really matter that much. Just a round of golf. Are you overinflating its importance and therefore making it just more difficult to uh, f- to free things up? I would also go to how much cognitive load he's trying to play with. Are there a lot of things he's trying to do mechanically to make sure that he hits good shots? And can we subtract rather than add? Can we make the job of being an athlete that much easier? So there's certain things that uh, he might be able to read and research on like the girls at Vision 54 do a really good job of trimming down the cognitive load of making it easier for a player to be a, an athlete. Reactive. Yeah, reactive to what they've they've trained. So sure enough, if you have scoring potential in social golf when the 300-pound pencil doesn't weigh 300 pounds, when the pencil weighs its true weight, 
then you have the physical skills to shoot the scores that satisfy you, whether those scores are 75 or, or 70 or 80 or 85. And breaking those walls down is what's necessary. One other thought pops mm-hmm. up as you say all that is that I think that, and I was thinking about it from Vision 54 because you mentioned it. I think you also have to look at what's happening between shots. Socially, there's certain things that are happening between shots. Like, like we said, you're probably distracted. You may be talking, you may be chattering. We, we've talked before about getting into character. How do you look and act when you're at your highest performing self? Mm-hmm. Examining those things like between shots and then trying to duplicate it rather than maybe now where we have the weight of the 300 pound pencil and it's like, I'm serious all the time. And you, you kind of bear the weight of that cognitive load, as you said. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. So it would go down to an expression, walk as if, talk as if, and act as if. But you've got to find out how you need to walk, how you need to talk, and how you need to act. What's your best performing self, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some good reflection. At Andrew Lewis. Hey, AL. Best book read and lesson learned in the last year. Uh, I don't have anything loaded into either barrel of my shotgun, but I would have to say that... Uh, I've got 30-odd books that uh, are waiting and about 10 that I've read over the last 12 months. And Chip and Dan Heath, any book or any material that they put out, whether it's their podcast material or just their information they've got, um, yeah, they put out on their website, is absolutely phenomenal. So Chip and Dan Heath is a resource, whether it's the most recent one I'm reading, Made to Stick or Switch would be my go-tos. Now, the one lesson, I don't think you could synthesize it down into one lesson. There's just an inordinate number of knowledge nuggets and action steps that come out of reading their materials. I got a couple. Oh, wow. But he's actually, truth I'm, be told. I'm looking he, at my Kindle he, just he to decide. looking at his Kindle, yeah. I'm looking so at he's my Kindle pulling to... out his shotgun and seeing what he's got in barrel one and barrel two. Atomic Habits. James Clear mm-hmm. is one that I really, really liked. Yep. I mean, and then it's really similar, High Performance Habits. Hmm. by Brendan Burchard. And they're really, really similar. They're about kind of the routines and habits that we develop to, to, for continuous improvement. But I want to make a point with this because I think something that is easy to fall into, especially if you like, I'm listening to podcasts. I want to read books. I'm a, I'm a learner. Yeah. I think a mistake that I've made is to continually look for new books rather than look at older books. You're laughing. Where did we hear this? You heard it from me. Did I really? Yes. Okay. Well, I, yeah. it's a John Wooden quote. Okay. John Wooden quote is the problem with, you know what the problem with new, new books is? Yeah. It takes, takes our attention away from reading the good old books, the old books that shaped us, the old books that have all that sage advice in them. Right. Yeah. So I went back and I read a bunch of like fearless golf when yeah. we were doing the G. I was like, golly, this is so good. And I remember reading this a long time ago. And then obstacles away is another one. It's like, yeah. I feel like if I read obstacles away, if I read a, a chapter of obstacle away, once a month, mm-hmm. then I'm I'm on the right track. So, and isn't it cool that Ron Holiday getting the exposure in the golf world after yeah. Rory, what a couple of weeks back said, "Hey, this has been one of those books that's been foundational." And I got an email from Ryan thanking me for exposing his books to Rory McIlroy. I couldn't take the credit for yeah, it, unfortunately. No? Okay, <laughs> uh, you should have. Anyway. You should have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, I had to but be and, and Ryan Holiday has another book coming out too. I just saw that there's an, another book on the way. So. Mm-hmm. I know we'll be tuning into that. Yeah. Oh, one other that I think is like, if you're a parent out there listening and you have an, a youth athlete or even pre-adolescent athlete, Rhinoceros Success. Yeah, we love that one. Brilliant book. It's very quick read. Sit down with your kid, 
read it to them. It's all about uh, attitude and framing. And then one we're looking at coming up is range is also coming out or has come out yeah. by David Epstein. Yep, David so, Epstein. Yeah. I hope to have David on the podcast here uh, very, very soon. Wow. You heard it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a promise. <laughs> At Rayhan Griffin, what's the best feels or drills to get a deeper backswing? So if I see someone that doesn't have their hands, arms deep enough on the way back, the first thing I'm looking at is shoulder turn. Typically it's not happening or it's happening too late. So I'd like to add in some shoulder turn earlier. That can sometimes be like a sequencing thing. Like if their arms are going back slower, they can turn those those shoulders back and get, get the hands deeper. And then as far as like the obstruction or a play that I would call is I like a rod on the on the trail shoulder just to create an obstruction to where you have to swing those arms deeper. Yeah, definitely. I think there needs to be an evaluation there on that person's mobility, flexibility, so range of motion, whether there's any joint restriction or, or tissue, soft tissue limitations, because those, those things can certainly, not in fact certainly, will be rate limiters to a person's ability to, whether that's rotate uh, their rib cage, rotate through the pelvic area. So we'll opening range rotation. of motion exactly. through lower, yeah. Um, but also lead arm adduction. So if a person was to stand straight up and down and lift their lead arm up 90 degrees to the ground, like they're about to high five someone, but the palm is facing away from the target. Um, lead arm adduction is moving that lead arm across your chest. So across the midline, like you're trying, if you're right-handed, move your left arm just straight back across your chest. And your range of motion there is probably moving from 90 all the way to about kind of 40 degrees across your chest. And that could be limited through any range of conditions in that lead shoulder. So that's certainly one factor to investigate if you're struggling with uh, with depth. But um, the exercises that Corey mentioned certainly are a great place or drills are a great place to, I guess if you have the necessary mobility to um, produce more. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. All right. Next question. Best behind the scenes moment from year one of podcast interviews. I can share this one. We can all laugh about it now. Enough time has passed. We had LPGA player and Altus client, Sandra Gall, in for an awesome interview. And we were in my office. She was here to see Cameron for a couple of days. We talked her into coming and do a podcast interview. And she just, I was just in awe. She was killing it. And then I looked over at the recorder and I hadn't pressed record. And so that's, as, you, as I was saying that, you were wondering why you haven't heard this awesome interview. Because I got about 20, 25 minutes into it and didn't hit record. And so we like tried to kind of put it together again, but yeah, it didn't work out very well. It didn't quite work out the way we wanted it to. Which is not the only time that I've done that. I've yes. done it. I did it Thank a couple you. other times. I was going to call you yeah. out on that. Yeah. yeah. That's happened at least three that I can remember. Yeah. That's how you learn. You fall off, you fail exactly. and you learn from those failures. And speaking of falling off and failing, I think those are the best moments that I think of as the moments where we have to either hit pause or stop or wind it all the way back to the start. Let's take this thing from the top, whether that's an intro, whether it's an answer to a question, like in a mailbag or it's just, yeah, 
we just want to take two on it. Yeah. A my, second serve, so to speak. My, my other favorite is that people think that people may think that we work together. Like we teach together all the time and that we don't get a chance to have enough of these similar conversations because mm-hmm. we're both separate teaching all the time. And so it's yeah. a good excuse to come in and bullshit about some of this. Exactly. Some of these questions. Yeah. For college golf, what are some of the go-to Altus skill combine tests? Corey. Yeah, so our combines are separated in kind of three areas, technique, training, and then tournament. So tournament readiness. So there's not a whole lot of like performance testing that we're doing. And, and that could maybe even lead into a conversation on the merit of those performance tests and how you're evaluating someone because it's usually happening out of context mm-hmm. and it's this small snapshot. Well, it does give you just a little bit of an understanding of where their deficiencies might be. I don't know that I'm a big fan of like tests as a, as a real like rigid or firm picture of where performance is. There's a lot be- other better playing ways to do Playing 18 holes is a great test. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Playing 18 holes or what are my tournament scores or what are my stats? That's mm-hmm. what we're looking at to yep. assess people. But just a comment on the combine, just because we just finished one and it's top of mind, mm-hmm. by far the most valuable task or activities that we do in those combines are classroom time. To where we have this opportunity to have discussions that in a normal hour, two hour session, we may not have or get in as in depth because mm-hmm. there's this, it's necessary to, to go through the more pressing or urgent areas that are normally technical and sure. form related. Well, it's we're pulling from top of mind. What was one of those conversations you had this so week? So we had a, we had a really, really good conversation on tournament readiness. Like what is your blueprint to get ready for an event need to look like? from a course perspective, from a conditions perspective, from skills, mental, physical, all mm-hmm. those different pieces that go into like creating your readiness blueprint. Yeah. Really good conversation to spend an hour mm-hmm. in the classroom. Just fleshing that all out is really, really valuable. I'm sure there were many aha moments for the 12, 16 kids that were in attendance. Are there two or three that stand out in your mind that specifically to the readiness or just through overall specifically to the readiness? Yeah. I think that you don't know how to prepare unless like you don't know what a 10 is mm-hmm. unless someone has told you this yeah, is this what is you 10. really this is what a 10 looks like and so yeah. you know there's a wide range of there's a pretty wide range of experience levels there mm-hmm. so some of them it's it's kind of okay i've heard this before i've been to a few combines before but for many of them it's it's like oh, brand oh, new information oh my gosh yeah. i didn't realize that was important yeah, yeah. well even like the sleep stuff yep. like when we started talking about the amount of sleep that you need to be and how that affects your performance and mm-hmm. the nutritional and the conditioning wise like how do i prepare my body yeah. to go perform at its best is a, a thing that i think a lot of young people aren't considering it's a comprehensive wouldn't do justice defining the discussion that you had on tournament readiness, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but then back to the question of like the aha moments, we, we sit down and we have a conversation on college golf. Mm-hmm. What does it take to play college golf? Like we started to look at scoring averages from players that are either traveling or not traveling on a, like a wide range of schools, like going from D three to D two to D one. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the kids didn't realize how achievable college golf is. Right. Because when they think, I want to go play college golf, they think, I want to go play at Stanford in Texas. Oklahoma State. State. You're right. But there's... Duke, if you're a female. Yeah. But there's this wide range of ability levels that are currently playing college golf in America. 
and it's not the only avenue that I'm going to try to play at this D1. And like you did, we, we used you as an example. You came here from Australia and you played at a small school and then went to a D1 school from there. So there's a lot of different avenues, especially for those kind of yeah. people that are late to it. And mm -hmm. so I think that to just to understand that that goal is pretty achievable. Yeah. Can we leap forward? Because there's a question from at Long Davis best tips to get college coaches to notice you that kind of dovetails from that really nicely. Yeah. So we, we had that conversation mm -hmm. a lot. And the number one thing is they need to know your name. The only way that they will know your name is if they see you in a tournament and shooting scores. Furthermore, yeah. What kind of tournaments, national tournaments, 36 hole events, at least 36 hole events that are recorded in junior golf scoreboard mm -hmm. is a really good place. So those are usually regional events, 36 holes, and from there, they know who you are. They at least can see a ranking within your state. So mm -hmm. they ha the one they have to, you have to have enough competitive reps to where there's a, a record of results of performance. Yeah. And then from there, you've got to be proactive. Like you need to cast a wide net back to my point. There's a wide range of opportunities to play college golf and you need to make sure that you're reaching out to coaches and how do they go about that in e emails. So we have like email scripts that we use because mm -hmm. you come up with one good email. What do you include in that email? There's swing videos. There's a resume of results. There's just, uh, you're expressing your interest in these schools. And that, that goes for even the top schools even really, really good players to write those letters to say, Hey, I'm interested in this school is important. At what point in time should they start doing that? Yeah. I think that once there's a certain level or a certain amount of results that are there that start to paint a little bit of a picture, I think is where I would recommend. At Randall Giles 316, I'm a six handicap. How do I take the next step in my golf game? to shoot par or under par. So just released on Golf Pass, on Golf Channel, is my series of breaking par. So that would be the first and yeah. probably the best Get step. that plug in. Yes, yeah. exactly, is uh, get on Golf Channel and sign up for my breaking par series. But the net of it is you're already shooting some scores that give you a hope great hope that you can go out there and probably make enough birdies to maybe three per 18 holes and to move from six handicap and shoot power break break power is really about i guess cultivating a set of skills that allow you to avoid big numbers or even bogeys for that matter so it's getting out of trouble it is getting it closer to the hole to convert those all essential momentum up and downs and it's largely some wedge play which when you hit it really in trouble in trees and have to punch out sideways you're going to be relying on a wedge play to get it up and down or even on par fives that aren't quite reachable you push it up there to 60 70 80 yards you want to get those uh, wedge shots close enough to where you can maybe produce another birdie or two per 18 hole. So bogey avoidance, the things that you would uh, do in skills work and also tactical work to make sure you're not putting yourself in trouble. And when you are, you're getting out of trouble. And then uh, that second part is if you can kind of eke out another red number here or there per 18, then you're most definitely moving closer to being able to shoot power even under par Randall. Yeah, I, I was going to, my mind went to bogey avoidance as the very first thing, which is probably choosing targets off the tee and choosing targets into greens, like really smart ones. But then as I think about it, and as I listen to you there, you're really trying to trim the fat if you're a six handicap. And so you need an objective appraisal of where the fat is. Mm -hmm. So just a, a good look at some stats to see where those opportunities are is where I would go next. If sure. you're a six trying to get to even par. Beautiful. 
Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge. 